Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, welcome back into a brand new episode of Domain the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming in for the newest episode. So, uh, I wanted to send a thank you out to everybody who reached out to me over the last couple of weeks while I prepped and recapped my third day for my domestic abuse trial. Um, super cool episodes, and it was funny. You know, I got good reactions about the correct I was incorrect line. And if you don't understand the reference, you can go back and listen to last week's episode. But no, my my next told a lot of lies and um, tip of the iceberg type lies. But like I said in the episode last week, um, you know the big lies are coming, <laughs> and uh, she has no way out. And my lawyer Brittany Parisi out of Parisi Law Firm in New Jersey is super excited to cross examine her in the next. Uh, the next day, um, hopefully we get a full day of it because, I mean, we're just going to rip her to shreds, my ex that is. Um, so yeah, all good things. And the next court date is only three weeks away from the time of this recording. So um, in the meantime, I want to put out some more interviews that I have done with some of my listeners. And the interview that I want to put out today is with a super cool person named Jamie that uh, I connected with through Instagram and Jamie was telling me some of her stories and I related so, so much to him. And I said, okay, yeah, let's get this episode done as quick as we can because, uh, yeah, I just love her story. So, um, check this episode out. All right, everybody. Welcome back into a brand new episode of dimming the gaslight. So I'm super stoked about this one today. So I got in touch with a new friend of mine named Jamie and Jamie is fairly local to me. And she started telling me her story and this morning we did like a quick video chat and I was like, holy Christ, it's so good when you don't feel so alone in the world because you're like, my story and her story are so similar and I know she knows that too. So I had to bring her on. I had to get her story. You know, I had to do an episode with her because it's just so similar and I'm so glad that you're here. So say hi to everybody. Hey, it's so good to be here. Yes, it's so crazy how parallel our lives are. Right? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, we were talking and, you know, you were telling me like you were like coursing through your story and then we got to like the climax of some good shit that happened. And I'm like, let's go. Like I, victories are my victories. You know what I mean? And it's victories for all of us when the narc finally is starting to get what they deserve. Love when they reveal themselves. So it's perfect. 
Totally, totally. So tell us a little bit about how your your story started, where you guys met, what the love bombing stages were like. I always love those kind of stories. Yeah, so um, we met in uh, 2013 uh, while I was working, actually, um, and he just kind of started hanging around. Um, he was just he just wanted my attention. He was hanging around. I wasn't really available at the time, so we were just kind of friends. And then I became available, and that's kind of when I don't even know if I would necessarily call it love bombing with him. He kind of threw out there the bait, and I was just in a point in my life where it, I was it was pretty low. Um, I had just gone through a divorce, so I, I definitely wasn't in a healthy frame of mind, and he picked up on that. So you coming out of a divorce, I'm sure, like you know, you had your certain. I don't want to call them traumas, but, you know, you had certain things that you probably had relayed to him and he probably played the knight in Shining Armor game, huh? Oh, totally. Like, he knew everything that I had dealt with um, in my marriage and what to say to me to pull me in. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can relate to that. Like, I used to say, like, mine would stay up till five o'clock in the morning and hear about my traumas and her traumas and would stay up all night and like they always play the good guy right they always play like the no I would never do that to you and I you know I did that too because she would used to claim that she was abused but we soon find out that they're not the people that they see I mean I pretty much knew right away we fought probably from our very first date what? on the first date um probably yeah i mean i don't know about the first date but definitely it started right from the beginning and um because i was you know i hadn't really gone through my growing process yet i didn't see the red flags was it banter um no it was definitely not banter it was definitely like yeah it was well i'm very sarcastic and i love to joke and tease people and that's what i always say like my husband now i told him if i'm not making fun of you or teasing you then that means i don't like you so um that's just how i am and my ex just has like no personality you can't joke around with him and and tease him he gets offended by everything so does he have like social anxiety being around other people um, well, he totally acts like he's this uh, knight in shining armor and Prince Charming around other people. But he is awkward. Like, you can tell he's just awkward around people. So tell us how that kind of progressed, you know, past your first date and, and you guys getting to know each other and eventually unwillingly falling for each other, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. Rolled your eyes as I said that. Oh, God. Yeah. Rolled. Yeah, just... Just the thought of it. It was, um, you know, we were actually, we were on and off um, for probably about a year. Like we just kind of would stop talking and um, then we would start talking again. And finally he felt like he was ready to commit to something a little bit more serious. And I was on board. I don't know why, because it still was awful. So, and then I got pregnant with my, uh, with my youngest child in late 2014. So anything about narcissists is that like i've said on past episodes they kind of like collect milestones and you know like they collect weddings and they collect engagements and they collect children and stuff and they they feel like obviously they do once they have a child with you you're trapped and like the yeah. thing is like i mean from my perspective and i'm sure you can relate it's like i want this happy family and i want the kids and i want this white picket fence idea and you're willing to go to the end of the year to have that and they just kind of check you off their proverbial list. 
Totally. And I and I know that deep down and I still believe that he does. He wants that. He wants that that full family life. He did not have that growing up. He just doesn't know how to get there. So at that point, I was pregnant. I wanted to make it work. But it really wasn't until that point that I started saying to myself, something's not right. Um, the way he's I'm sorry. In the pregnancy, you were saying that? Yeah, when I, it was shortly after I got pregnant, um, that's when I really started to see the flags. And I don't know what went off in me that I finally started to see it, but that's when really the psychological and emotional abuse started. And maybe that's because at that point he knew he had me. So he started to show his true self. Yeah, I get that. Can you give us any examples of that? I mean, was he withdrawing? Was there cheating involved? Was there, you are not handling your pregnancy the way you should? I mean, what red flags did you see? He was definitely always cheating, um, always seeking attention from other women. It was, uh, he was all over social media constantly. There, I would catch him sending messages to and from other women and then it was, and then he would deny it. I mean, I would literally catch him red-handed and, and he would deny it. They live with themselves with a pregnant wife at home and you're cheating. And how can like you defend that behavior. I can't I can't get in the mind of these people how they can actually look at themselves in the mirror. Because I think, well, now knowing what I know now, they they don't care about anybody else. I mean, it's just all about them and what they need and what makes them feel good. How far were you along in your pregnancy when you found out he was cheating? Probably five or six months. Yeah. Um, so I also have two older children who were living with me. He was he did not have a good relationship with my older child and um, I started to see that, and that was really bothering me because they're my kids. So you yeah. better get along with them. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so it was, it was, it was pretty bad from the beginning. You know, I, I gave birth to our son, and things were okay for a little bit. I guess you know the the honeymoon period, mm -hmm. but then it started to get bad again. It, he was more on his computer and searching for attention. He was on uh, Craigslist, like. There's like, I guess, this shady section of Craigslist that you can like meet up like with other people. I don't I don't know. I don't really know what he was doing, to be honest. When you found him doing stuff like this, I mean, did you threaten to leave? I mean, you were pregnant or you just had the kid and like. Oh, yeah, we had already had our son. And I, you know, I would I just told him this is not OK. Like, if you're not happy, then you need to leave. And he is significantly younger than I am. Um, so he would always say to me, you know, I don't know what you think you're going to get if if I leave, you know, you're you're old, you're washed up, you've got three kids, nobody's going to want you. So, you know, he kind of put me in my place that way and I would and I would back down. That worked on me, though. That kind of uh, like anti future faking like worked on me because, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're this, you're that. And, like, turns out I'm not. <laughs> like yeah. It, like turns out like no like you were just dead weight that i was carrying around right right yeah so, it, was, it was bad i'm sorry god yeah so um well not only was there cheating but he was stealing money from our joint account he was just um siphoning it out little by little you know and then i would ask him about it and he would deny it or he would say that he needed it for you know a thing here or there and he was stealing my medication too so so funny because I, I was diagnosed with ADD and I was prescribed Adderall and I had the capsules and he was literally opening up the capsules and taking the beads out and then putting the capsules back together. 
Whoa, that is sketchy as fuck. Well, you hear, you know, a large percentage of narcissists all also have comorbidities with addiction issues. And this is oh yeah, no different, but like, holy hell. So I would see these capsules and they'd only be a quarter of the way fill, filled. And I'm, I feel like such an idiot now. And I'd say, oh, I'm like, that doesn't look right. I'm like, why is this one only a quarter of the way full, but this one's full? He's like, oh, you know, that happens all the time. So I'm sitting at the pharmacy and, I, and I'm like, and I'm asking the pharmacist. And now looking back, they probably looked at me like I was the drug addict. I'm oh my God. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking like, imagine going to the pharmacist and being like, hey, there's something up with my medication. They go, oh, here it is. Another pill popper. Like, and right. It, oh, oh my, that's, that's like, that's like severe gaslighting. You know? Oh, I know. Like your medic and then you turned out to be the crazy one. Fuck, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, so I finally caught him actually taking my medication. I literally caught him with his hands in the proverbial cookie jar. What so there was, well, he wrote me this this letter basically putting it in writing that, yes, he stole my medication and he would fess up to it to the police, but he hoped that I would let it go and let him, let him stay and work on it um, and go to couples therapy together. What do you attribute that to? Why would he put it in writing? He's like a, he's a criminal mastermind. So he knew that it doesn't matter if I, if I had anything in writing, if I took it to the police, it wouldn't make a difference. His parents would pay for for his attorney and get him off. But it was his way of kind of shushing me and, and maybe trying to smooth things over. Yeah. But, and then that's when he suggested couples counseling. So how did that go? Oh, I mean, have you been a couples counseling with a, with an arc? Yeah. Four times, like a fart in church. Exactly. It was a joke. I actually ended up walking out because the uh, therapist was taking his side. And I'm just like, I, I can't handle this. But I tell you a funny story about my marriage counseling that I'm not sure I've ever talked about on this. But I had one marriage counselor who, you know, I had no problem with it, with it. But she was like a devout, devout Christian or Christian. And uh, like everything was peace this and peace that and everything. And I'm like, well, you don't understand because I'm living in a war zone. And I'll never forget this. And I actually told this to a friend recently, but I didn't share it on the podcast. This marital therapist said, why don't you be more like Chip and Johanna Gaines from the HGTV show? (laughs) And I looked at her and I was like, you realize this is like fucking super scripted, right? Like they actually produce their own show. And she's like, but they love each other. And like, you should aspire to be like that. And I'm like, you're out of your fucking mind. If you guys don't know what Chip and Johanna Gaines is, like they're like the homemaker people who like renovate homes and flip them and stuff from HGTV and they wanted me to be real like Chip and Johanna Gaines. I'm like, lady, you're fucking tripping. <laughs> it, it, if, yeah, if that was her only piece of advice, that's that's pretty sad. That's the only thing that resonated with me. That's crazy. I can't believe that. Panic. I've never shared that story. I mean, who doesn't aspire to be like Chip and Joanna Gaines? They're pretty amazing. But yeah, now I have this like, now I have this every time I see Chip and Joanna, I'm like, oh my God, they're so fake. Fuck them. They got the <laughs> therapist fooled. I know, I know. That's so funny. But yeah, my therapist or our therapist said um, that I should let go of all of the cheating. I shouldn't bring it up anymore. And, you know, if I wanted to move past it, I needed to just let it go. And I said, well, that's really hard to do when I keep I keep looking for things. And every time I look for things, I find something. So, yes, I'm going to want to keep looking because I keep finding the thing is, Jamie, is like, so I'm listening to your story and, and maybe you can dive a little deeper into this. And, and I'm wondering if maybe the listeners will be thinking the same thing. But when you found him cheating and you were pregnant and stuff like that, like, 
from what I'm hearing, I'm surprised you weren't like mad, like get the fuck out or I want out or like the way you said it is like, you're like, hey, listen, if you're not happy here, get out. But like, why wasn't it more like, why wasn't it more like explosive, honestly? I mean, it, yeah. And, and there were explosive arguments, um, but I was also pregnant. So I was trying to be careful. I didn't want to, you know, hurt the baby. So I had to be calm. I also had two other children in the house. So I needed to kind of keep things uh, low key. I, I hate fighting in front of my kids. I hate it. Um, and when he would rage, it would get really bad. So I kind of had to be the one who kept things calm. But I was very angry. Believe me, I was very angry. I can believe it. Yeah. I mean, I could put myself in your shoes. So, all right. So keep going. So you did the marriage counseling. Went yeah, over, so, of course. Right. So that was a joke. I walked out and I said, I'm never attending again. Um, and we kind of muddled along like this probably for another six months. And then finally we uh, were on vacation. And uh, as you said before, you know, narcissists sometimes have issues with addiction and, and he does and he is a drinker. And when he drinks, um, he drinks excessively and he gets nasty. And so he did on our final day of vacation, he overdrank and he was actually accusing me of cheating, which is hilarious. Your sister will tell you what they're doing because they'll accuse you of. Absolutely. Um, and that's it. I said to myself, he caused this huge scene in front of my kids, my brother and his wife and then even more so later on in the day uh, in front of our then three-year-old child. And I just said to myself, I'm not doing this anymore. And I told him, as soon as we get home, you're out, you're gone. I, it's like when you go on vacation, like this is supposed to be the time for everybody to unwind. And it's like, I don't know what it is about these kinds of people, but this is not the first time I'm hearing it. I've experienced it too. It's like, I don't know if it's because the attention is on them or they just thrive on chaos so like they have to make the the vacation a living hell for everybody but like they we all know like notoriously they ruin all these good times that like just don't need to be ruined yes holidays birthdays vacations everything even now that we've been separated for as long as we have he still manages to ruin everything and even if it's their birthday and you go above and beyond for them then it wasn't good right it doesn't matter so what happened vacation so it was that was the line in the sand that was the deal that was the cam uh, the straw that broke the camel's back that was the straw that broke the camel's back i was done i i felt i had this uh, surge of power and i was feeling strong and i was not going to live my life another day like that so um it was an excruciating eight hour car ride in the middle of the night um which i drove through um, because I was leaving right then and there, and he did nothing but beg and plead for me to give him one last chance, and I held my ground. We got home, and um, I made him pack his things and get out. How were the kids dealing with that? Honestly, my two older kids were so relieved, my oldest especially, because my oldest hated him. But they're also not his kids, right? They're not his, right? But he and my oldest, you know, they never really got along, and um, so definitely that was another. That was a definitely a driving reason because that relationship has started to deteriorate even more, and I was noticing him like raging on my oldest, and it was about two months before the final. I would kill if they they treated my children like that. I would. The police were called to my house a couple of times because yeah. because of him raging on your kids. Because of, well, it was either him raging on my oldest or him raging on me to the point where I would have to lock myself in the closet just 
because he wouldn't stop. He stood behind my car and wouldn't let me pull out of the garage because I wanted to leave one day with the kids because he wouldn't stop. It, it got so bad. And that's all in the police reports? Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so he actually, surprisingly, he, he left and I never thought he would. So when he actually left, I was like, oh, my God, I finally have peace and my life is going to be amazing now and this is going to be fabulous. And that, like I told you earlier, that's when the, that's when the true hell started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at you like laughing about it. Why are we laughing about this? <laughs> Why are we laughing? Because the, I, we find the, the absurdity funny. It's crazy how we find the absurdity like it's just not real life. It's like watching a movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. And looking back at it and, you know, I have a very close friend who went through the, through it with me the whole entire time. And she would always say to me, I don't understand. You have, you're so great and in, in, at work. You've got such a great career. You, you seem like you really have it all together. How is your personal life such a disaster? Because you chose the wrong person. And like, you know, like, okay, so for me, right, like I, I, I've i said many, 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 many times. I mean, that's like the gist of this podcast is, you know, like I wanted the white picket fence idea. I mean, you had been married. You had had the kids. What was it about him that made you stick around and try and like keep seeing it through? I didn't want another failed relationship. I really didn't. I really wanted to make it work. And I don't know. And after, you know, and I'll get into this a little bit later, but I definitely went through some times of, of like deep where I really looked inside and, and I, I figured out what my issues were and why I had picked him and not only why I picked him, but why I stayed. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I'm sure a lot of people relate to that. So, OK, keep going. Yeah. So he left and, you know, we kind of have put a basic parenting plan together, nothing formal, nothing legally yet. But this is really when the real abuse and they call it abuse by proxy, co-parenting abuse started. Were you married? No, we were not married. He did. He ended up, he proposed um, to me uh, shortly after our, our son was born and I accepted, but I never, I was never going to marry him and I would always put off the plans. Okay. Good. Okay. Just yeah. One, the kid yeah. already off with the marriage and she was just icing on the cake. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he would do things like I would get hundreds of emails, texts, phone calls every day, just berating me. You're a horrible mother. You know, you didn't do this. You sent our, our son to daycare late or you picked him up later than he's, he should be picked up. Just, just nonsense. And I'm not a very confrontational person, but I was so sick of him and I was done in the relationship. And I finally said, you know what? I don't have to put up with his bullshit anymore. I don't have to, I don't have to listen to this. I'm going to, I'm going to fight back. I'm going to defend myself because I can now. And so I would just, I would go back and I would, I would keep going back. And all I was doing was fading him. He, that's what he wanted. He was, he was sucking the life and the energy out of me. Good attention or bad attention, it doesn't matter. As long as you're talking about them, that's what they want. It, negative attention is just as good as bad attention. Yeah. And, you know, I used to I used to tell them all the time, you're like a, a giant tantruming toddler. That is exactly what you you act like. And it's pathetic. So, yeah. So we, it was just constant. He would call me, he would text horrible, horrible, disgusting things he would say to me. He broke into my house one time. When we were home, he actually gained access through a window in the garage. Yeah. Scared the hell out of my kids. It was bad. Police came. Did you call the cops? I called the police, but 
he had shown the police a text thread where I had agreed to uh, have him come over at some point to pick up some belongings. No. <laughs> but that's what he said. The garage, he said the garage door was open. Both myself and my oldest child said that the garage door was not open. The police said that because he had that thread that, you know, technically I, I, I invited him to come over. So they let him go. So um, it was that kind of stuff. And that went on, I don't know, for, I guess, about a year. I started going, I joined CODA. I don't know if you've ever heard of CODA. So it's um, Codependence Anonymous. That's when my true awakening began. I started going going to meetings. I read the book. I started in therapy and I really started to understand the deep rooted issues that I was dealing with. For you. Yeah. So it's still, I mean, I'm still yelling. It's it's gonna be a constant everyday thing, but it, it was an awakening for me. Things were so bad, and I had mentioned to you before, things had gotten so bad and I was just, I was so alone. Nobody really understood what was happening. You know, I would tell people stories and they'd be like, oh, what a jerk. No, he's not just a jerk. He's a sociopath. Mental, you know, and going back to the CODA thing, you know, it's funny. Uh, so I have um, experience with people who have been to Al-Anon. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to Al-Anon, like I was actually just talking about this with a friend of mine recently um, who was telling me about their friend who had addiction issues. And I was saying, you know, like all I know about Al-Anon, like, or like the primary foundation of Al-Anon is like, listen, regardless of what that person's doing, if they're drinking, if they're using, if they're not using, if they're actually, you know, on the right path, you can still disconnect in a way of like, you know, Jamie has to live her life the way Jamie lives her life. And regardless of if they're doing well, if they're doing bad, it's like you can't, your life can't. And it's hard, man. It's so hard because they fight their asses off to stay in like your frontal lobe. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want their name on the tip of your top. And the best thing we can do is just like put our hands up and say, I want nothing to do with you. Disengage. Completely. Yeah. And and honestly, not reacting and disengaging is something that, I mean, I've gotten so much better at, but it wasn't until probably the last year that I still, you know, I would engage with them and I would feel the need to defend myself, even though the things he would spout out, I know they're crazy and false. I still felt the need to defend myself. I don't feel that need anymore. I, I, I share the same sentiment. I couldn't give a shit what anybody thinks of me. I know who I am. And the people who know me know who I am. And, you know, like I, I keep getting accused of being angry and stuff. Well, of course, I'm a little bit angry, but like my reactions to my anger are strictly reserved for her. You know what yeah. I mean? But I even got to break that, too. Yeah. You know, I struggle sometimes because there are times that I do feel bad for him. I have faith for him um, because I know that he has. I, I know I, it took me a long time to get there, but um, but believe me, there are definitely still times where I'm like, oh my God, I hate him. He is, you know, useless. I hope it's more of that than the previous. Usually, but honestly, I, I want to be in a place where it is always, I feel bad for him because then I can let go of the hate. You know what I mean? I, you know, I've, I've talked about with people and I've said like, you know, I've had self-aware narcissists on this podcast and I have this empathy towards them because like I see it truly as a sickness, like a diabetic can't pr produce insulin and these people can't produce empathy or self-responsibility. And like you look at them, you're like, fuck, like, but I would have more sympathy if it wasn't directed towards me, you know, if I wasn't paying for their shortcomings. 
you're the target. I know, especially when there's kids involved and your kids are collateral damage. It it is so hard. Um, but there are times that I look at him and I'm like, you're broken and I feel so sorry for you. You're never going to have a full and happy life because you don't know how sick you are. So, yeah. But keep going. So you would talk to your friends about it and they'd be like, oh, he's just a jerk. And you're like, no, he's a fucking sociopath. Yeah, he, he's a psycho. No, he's not just a jer jerk. Like that is such an oversimplification. And like a, a couple of attorneys I've spoken with have had said the same thing. And I'm like, well, clearly you don't get it because he's not just a jerk. Like he's he's the, he's a psycho. So it got so bad uh, that in August of 2019, I almost took my life. I was very close. I was in my garage. I had my garage door down. I had my car running. It was horrible. It was the lowest point of my life ever. And then the picture of my three beautiful kids came into my, my mind and um, I shut the car off and that was it. I, I swore that I was never, ever, ever going to let him take me down. I was going to keep being a healthy, present mother to all of my kids. And and that that's it. And that's when my battle really kind of started in terms of, you know, protecting my child, but also protecting myself. Thank God. Yeah. So uh, in July of, of 2020, I'm fast forwarding. Um, finally, things got, they got so bad and they escalated so, so badly that I filed for a temporary restraining order. Yeah. And I got it. I got my final restraining order. So after th three long days uh, in a hearing. We talked about this earlier. You told me three long days of the hearing. And I'm like, what are you, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? How did you get three days? Because I said. I go like my the time in between my trial dates is six weeks. I'm going on my third one is coming up in a couple of weeks, and like I go six weeks without them, and it's crazy. And you're just nobody can see it right now, and your jaw is dropped. But like I don't get why I have to wait, and it and I don't know if it's because I'm a man, and you know I'm guilty before I'm innocent, but I don't know. But how did that only go three days in a row? How did the court have time to hear your stuff three days? Oh, you know, I don't know. First of all, the the area that I'm in, it's it's not as like there's there's not probably a a, a large caseload. Um, it was really kind of just at the beginning of COVID, so that's when Zoom just started. Uh, it was always my understanding that the final restraining order hearing had to be within 14 days of a TRO being issued. I'm going on six months. That's that's crazy to me. I can't. October, November, December. Yeah, I'm past six months. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, we were. I think. Our hearing, our, our FRO hearing was probably less than seven days from the date. From my perspective, right? Like, let's say my next doesn't get the full restraining order. This is still a victory for her. Let's say I don't get the, you know, she doesn't get the full restraining order. It's still a victory. You know why? She ostracized me for my kids for a minimum of six months. And it's going to be more. I know it's going to be more. I don't think I'm going to be wrapped up in the next one. You don't think so? No, there's there's a lot more witnesses have to be called and no, there's still a lot more to go. Well, keep fighting for more for more parenting time because they I mean, it's been prolonged long enough and you you're losing out on this precious time with your kids. And that's not fair. Some of the things I played during our hearing, um, I had a, an audio recording and a video and he tried to object. He didn't want me uh, playing it. We were both pro se, by the way, uh, and he, you could just see his face on the meeting. He he knew. He knew it was over. The judge was so absolutely disgusted by the things that he heard. Uh, he said that there is absolutely no way that anybody should have to live with that kind of abuse ongoing. Good. I'm glad the judge saw it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So the judge saw it and I got my my final restraining order. And again, I'm like, yes, I'm like, I got to win. I got to win. Right. Well, the final restraining order is really it's a nice piece of paper. It's it's done. It's it's done its job in that it has definitely limited the communication. So he he doesn't bomb me with messages. He can't call me. He can't speak to me face to face. It does not prevent him from being within a certain distance from me. They would not do that. And we use an app to communicate about our child. But as long as he, so he can send me a 10 page message through this app, which is most of the time what I get rambling on and on, just nonsense. As long as he puts our son's name in there at least one time, then that's okay. He could threaten to sue me and he could say all these other things. But as long as our son's name is is in there, the, the prosecutor won't charge. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, it's funny. Um, I tell people there's there's this old, old, obscure, relatively obscure movie, but with Jennifer Lopez, how obscure it could be. But it's called Enough. Uh, with Jennifer I saw that. And in the in the restraining order, so like you know, in the climax of the movie, the guy's chasing around trying to kill her or whatever, and she and he, she stops and she pulls out the restraining order and she holds it up, and the abuser goes, "What are you gonna do? Throw it at me?" Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. But honestly, I and I tell people this all the time. It would be so much easier if he would just beat me up to the point where like I'm within an inch of my life because at least then they would do something. And my lawyer now, I finally, I have the best lawyer. He's so great. He he put it the, the best way um, I've ever heard anybody put it, that what he puts me through my ex is like a death by a thousand paper cuts. That's such a good line. That's such a good line. Yep. Death by Isn't it true? Oh, true. And that's the thing is like, man, you're put you're putting a fire under me right now, and I'm getting all like, because like, oh, fuck the family court system, man. Fuck it. Like it's it's awful. It doesn't protect us. It, it encourages the abuser to to spout off more allegations. And you know, I've heard from so many people. You never really get your day in court, and you have it. You have all the evidence, and I keep the faith that like it's got to happen. But I have a feeling I'm going to be coming on this podcast going, yeah, no, I showed it all, and. You know, yeah, I, I, she got a slap on the wrist. That's my feeling. Well, yeah, and and you know, I, I've told you he's violated the terms of our restraining order many, many times. He's been arrested um, and actually charged a couple of times. So um, he served a two-year probationary sentence for threatening to kill me. But you know, what's two years probation? Yeah, I just won't threaten to kill you for two years. Right, right. Up, uh, I'm back to telling him to kill you. Right. No, no, that's okay. What were you going to say? Oh, I'm just, it's, it's irks me. That's all. I know. Yeah. So, um, and actually he just violated the restraining order again in October. And like I told you, we have his sentencing hearing on Wednesday. 
Nice. Let's go. Oh, I'm so excited. And it's in person, which makes me even happier. Um, as, as much as I love the Zoom court hearings because they're so much easier, um, I need to be in person for this because oh. I'm standing up and I'm reading my victim impact statement and I'm praying that the judge overturns whatever slimy deal the prosecutor and his weasel attorney made and sees that enough is enough. Tell us how he broke it. You told me the story and I loved it. Yeah. So at our parenting exchange, which wasn't our normal location, but because he can just change things whenever he feels like it, I was forced to meet him somewhere else. So we met him. I see him approaching my vehicle uh, from behind and I got out of my vehicle and he went to open the door of my, my car to let our son in. And because my daughter was in the car. All right. You have a restraining order, bro. You need mm-hmm. freaking door. Like, get the fuck out of here. The nerve. Right. Well, he can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. So because my daughter was in the car and my husband, thank goodness, um, my daughter was in the car. I shut. I just put my hand on the door and I shut the door and he jumps back and he screamed that I assaulted him. So I very calmly and quietly collected our son and his belongings and I put him in my vehicle and I tried to get in, in my vehicle to drive away. And he just kept going. He was coming towards me. It was at that point that I asked my husband to get out of the vehicle to kind of help me and defuse the situation. My husband got out of the vehicle and kind of just said, just go away. Just, you know, walk away. Leave us alone. Nobody wants to deal with you right now. Just walk away. Meanwhile, my kids are in the, the backseat, terrified, crying, shaking. He calls 911, my ex, screaming and crying on the phone, saying that my husband has kicked him, punched him, pushed him. My husband did not lay one hand on him. So the police come, not just one police officer, probably about seven, but lights, sirens. Poor kids, how traumatic. It was so traumatizing. My ne- my ex is, uh, you know, demanding a, a protection order against my husband and that he'd be arrested. They interview all of us. We tell them our side. They even interviewed my older, you know, my daughter who said that my husband did not touch him at all. And luckily, the next day, they reviewed the security footage uh, that was on the building, thank God, and uh, matched it up with the 911 call and confirmed that he lied about everything. So that's so cool. That is so cool. It was amazing because he really rarely gets caught red handed doing the things he he does. So seeing that happen. It would be wonderful to be a fly in the wall and just be like, oh, no, we have the security footage, asshole. You fucking lied about everything. Yeah, and I didn't even realize, I, you know, everything happened so fast. I did not even think about looking to see if there was a camera. I, I, it didn't even occur to me. So I was so grateful that there was. So he was arrested for filing false police report, disorderly persons, contempt of the final restraining order, and harassment. And then what? And, uh, well, and then, you know, his attorney makes a deal with the prosecutor and he's getting 30 days suspended and two years probation. What is, oh, 30 years suspended? What do you mean? 30 days suspended. So meaning 30 days of jail time, but they're suspending it. So he does not have to serve. Um, However, if he screws up again and violates the restraining order again, then he would definitely have to serve the 30 days. But I was just told by a police officer that they will, the prosecutor's office will not charge for nonviolent offenses regarding violations of, of final restraining orders. The, this court really needs to recognize, you know, that this lying is just as bad, if not worse, than physical abuse. I don't understand why physical abuse is so weighty. 
I, I don't know. I don't know. Because, I mean, everything I read, I mean, I'm not saying that people who go through physical abuse, I'm not trying to, uh, you know. Minish. Yeah, not at all. But emotional abuse, when it goes on for as long as it does, it, it could be just as bad, if not worse, because it happens. It just goes on forever. I mean, this is going to be forever. Forever, right? And, and you know, luckily, you guys are the same position that I'm in is that we can only communicate through you know, a government run app, thank God. But like, I haven't spoken to her in six months um, other than her yelling at me during pickups and stuff that which I record and I just ignore and I don't, I don't rebuttal or anything. But yeah, I fear that too. But you would think that since his credibility is so destroyed, he would like have some higher foresight to know like, he just doesn't stop. Just stop. He just doesn't. He just doesn't stop. And my attorney has said it. I'm pretty, his attorney has basically said it during, you know, a mediation session. You know, just we let. He's so focused on, you know, the past and and how I have wronged him. He can't get past that part of it to move forward and parent our child in a healthy manner. He just he's so angry at me, and he vowed when I told him to leave on August thirty first, two thousand eighteen. He said, I'm going to make the rest of your life a living hell. And he meant it. Mine too. Mine too. And you would think like mine's in a new relationship now. So you would think like that would occupy some of her focus and some of her time. But like, I get the feeling that like, she'll never get over my rejection, you know? And I'm not saying I'm the greatest thing in the world, but it just, it makes me think she'll never get over it. She has to make a, both of us, they have to make us pay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Mine was in a relationship probably for about four or five months. I felt so bad for her, <laughs> but no, it did. It didn't work. It didn't work. He was still. I was his primary target, and um, I will always be his primary target. But disengaging is the best thing. If it doesn't, you know, I've made this deal with myself. It doesn't have to do with the kids. And you said as long as he includes your kids, you know, he'll write you a ten-page you know, response, but as long as it includes your son's name at least one time, then, you know, he's vindicated or whatever. But like moving forward, my thing is, is I'm not going to communicate unless it's about the kids. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what allegations you're going to throw out. I'm going to murder her credibility. And then from that point on, I never, ever, ever talking about anything that doesn't directly involve the kids. And I'm not going to, you know, she loves to take these things and like try and like make them about the kids, but they're not really about the kids. I won't engage unless like it's a it's a real decision that I have to make. Yeah, and it I, it can be so hard sometimes. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the term "biff." Have you heard that? I have. Refresh me. So, um, when you're responding to her, you keep your responses brief, informative, uh, friendly, and firm. And um, I know, I know, I know you you're looking like that. I just made this face. I'm like, eh. I had a guest on here one time. Uh, I loved it better. You use whatever works for you. Um, my acronym is NEB, Necessary, Emotionless, and Brief. Same thing. Perfect. Fuck the friendly. The only reason I said friendly is because, listen, we're going to keep, we're going to be in court. It's going to be ongoing forever. These communications, they're going to be used in court. And, and, Lately, recently, with our new situation, because we have a parenting coordinator involved, you can clearly see the the differences between my Biff messages because, and friendly is just beginning the message saying hello and ending the message saying thank you. That's it. I'm not trying to be the best friend, but 
it's just friendly and and you know business like uh and that's how i would address anybody day to day you should address it the way you would address a work email uh-huh yeah yeah but it you know when you compare them and you can very easily see that his messages are crazy nonsensical ramblings and my messages are really just truly about our son and either i'm providing him with an update or i'm asking for an update from him let's talk to us a little bit so go back to um you said that you have a court date coming up tell us about that um well we have his sentencing hearing which is on uh wednesday but that's that's regarding his criminal charges so as far as our custody goes we don't have a court date yet, but we just, I had filed a motion back in the summer because I really wanted a best interest evaluation done. Um, I have some concerns about my son. My son has a lot of anxiety. He's been in therapy because of the abuse that he has witnessed. So he spends a lot of time. He's got 40% custody. And, you know, I was seeing a lot of issues with my my child just acting out other things. He wasn't getting to school on time or at all on the days that he was with his dad. So there was just a lot going on. So I asked for a best interest evaluation. My attorney and I filed a motion. He and his attorney said, no best interest evaluation, but we'll agree to a parenting coordinator. We, we wanted one for six months. So we ended up agreeing to a parenting coordinator for 45 days, but I wasn't crazy about it. Right, I'm not crazy about it too, because that's, you know, mine wants a best interest evaluation, but uh, I'm gonna take those bullets out of her gun once, uh, you know, I perjure her in court but when it comes to what is it called the parental advisor what is it called parenting coordinator later um i know mine was proposed at 500 dollars an hour and like what the hell do i need to pay somebody 500 dollars an hour like i know what's best for my kid i don't need anybody and my kids i don't need anybody to like govern the way i talk and deal with my kids it's her and somebody's got the law has to get her in line and I totally feel you. I really do. And that and that's how I felt. But really, the only way I have been able to expose him, and he's really dug himself his own grave, is through this parenting coordinator. We started using her in October. Funnily enough, it was we retained her right before the incident where he filed these false police reports and, and whatever. So she actually was, she saw all of that go down. But it it's been the, the best thing that could have happened because any issue we have, we bring to her. She settles it. So some of the time, I don't like what she has to say. You feel that she's what you see? She totally is seeing what I see. She recently made a recommendation to finally suspend his midweek parenting time because of the school attendance issues. They need consequences for their action because they won't take responsibility. It's not like so he gets his midweek, you know, visitation suspended, whatever. And he's still not going to say I did something wrong, but it doesn't matter. I don't care if mine thinks that she did anything wrong. I just want somebody else to say, well, this is why it's happening. Too bad if you don't like it. And now you're being held accountable if you won't be held accountable. Exactly. It's the accountability. And, you know, she and I met, she she had individual meetings with both of us just once before she issued her first set of recommendations. And that's one of the main things I said to her. I said, you know, he has he has violated every portion of our parenting agreement. He violates the restraining order constantly. And there are never any consequences. And so if we're going to do this, 
I need to make sure that if there are violations and I bring them to you, that there are going to be consequences and there have been. And it's been amazing. There you go, Jamie. That is fucking great advice for anybody listening to this. Before you go into it, you, you just reminded me of like how I started therapy, right? Like I said to my therapist, like when I when I hired her services, I was like, listen, I know what I've been through and I don't need to sit here playing devil's advocate with you, like considering the other side of the coin. I need to be validated. So like the way that you just went in with that parental coordinator and you're like, hey, listen, I need to know that if I'm hiring your services, I'm not just paying $500 an hour for like zero consequences. Like I need to know that if I take your services, there are going to be repercussions for breaking, you know, court agreements. Right, right. You know, I, I abide by the parenting plan because that's what we agree to and he should do the same. And if he doesn't, then there should be consequences. And she has. There have been consequences. And one of the major ones, like I just said, was he lost, uh, you know, midweek parenting time pending uh, an investigation. We have a guardian ad litem involved now who also is seeing things that is that, that are happening, the communications and how horrible they are the parental alienation, which I know is not something the courts love to hear. And I don't necessarily use those words, but they see it without me having to say it, which is so amazing. You'll get me fired up if we get on a topic like that. I'll ramble forever. But I do believe <laughs> with the alienation because I know I've experienced it. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, so what is what's your son's relationship like with his father? He loves his dad. He loves his dad. Yeah, no, he does. He has he has fun when he goes there because daddy's house is fun. There really aren't any rules. He gets to stay up as late as he wants. He, you know, when he was there on school nights, he could stay up and have his iPad all night long. And they do fun things. And even now more so, it's it's fun there. He definitely, he feels safer at my home. He doesn't see the raging. He, there's no coaching. Like, it's just... I promised myself, I swore to myself, and I will keep swearing to myself, I will be, they say, a child needs one healthy, stable parent to survive and, and thrive. And I will be that parent. And I believe he feels like that. I feel he feels that way when he's with me. And that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. That doesn't right. mean you have to be perfect in the eyes of everybody else who's judging you as a parent. And like, that doesn't mean that when you sit back and, you know, you establish rules and boundaries and things for your children that they have to follow, it doesn't make you a bad parent. And I struggle with that too. I'm like, if I discipline my kid right now, like he's going to go home and be like, oh, I don't want to go to dad anymore because he has rules. You know what I mean? That's healthy. That's what they're looking for. And they're going to test those boundaries. And I look for when my kids now test my boundaries because I'm like, good. That's actually a good thing. It's like you tell me no or something like that because you're thinking for yourself, right? You're not just like, hey, dad's going to, you know, I want them to push back a little bit because I'm worried about the gaslighting that they're receiving from her when they're with her. I know. I know. It's, um, and, you know, something I noticed that my son is doing is he's such a people pleaser. Um, like he almost like, because he sees his dad rage, he has to kind of figure out how he's going to put out the fire and, and calm him down. And I hate it. Or not make him angry so he gets that. So your son's not walking on eggshells. Always. And 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 that's what our lives are. It's like we're walking around on a minefield, like waiting for the next explosion. And I hate that. I don't mind. I'll do it every single day. I do not want my child living his life like that. I hate it. I'll take the bomb for my kids. I get it. Yeah. Um, but he loves his dad and I get it. And I want him to have a dad. I want him. I want him 
to be in his dad's life, but his dad needs to be healthy and supportive, and he's not. So, you know, you have one mother, you have one father, and I don't want them to see their mother in a negative light. But I can't deny the fact that what they're doing is child abuse. You can't you can't treat the mother of your child badly or the father of your child badly and expect that not to be child abuse. It is. So um, I'm glad that he's happy with him. I, you know, I just hope that when he's with him, you know, he's not, like you said, walking on those eggshells, trying to defuse a bomb before it goes off and anything like that. But they'll get to a point where they're older and they'll realize like, this is not normal. And I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to go to dad's house. And every time I go to dad's house, you know, I know that I'm going to go there and he's probably going to freak out because they're going to get sick of it. And they won't want to go anymore. I know. And, and that's honestly, that's my hope. My hope isn't that he doesn't go in the other direction. And he's like, oh, well, you know, there's no consequences at dad's and I get to have fun at dad's. So, you know, that's where I want to be. But at the, at the end of the day, I can only do what I feel is best as his parent day to day. And, hope that he makes the best decisions for himself. Totally with you. Well, Jamer, we're coming to the end of the hour here. And as I like to ask every guest, you know, what is your outlook for the future? Do you have any advice for people who are still in it or they're still, you know, trying to navigate this storm? What is your advice for people who are still in the thresholds of narcissistic abuse? Um, learn to love yourself, learn to take care of yourself. Be, like I said, be that stable parent, the one that has the boundaries and, and, and the rules, but make special memories. Even if you don't have a lot of time with your children because you've lost it because of the nonsense of the courts, make every single moment memorable and happy and special because that's what your child or your children are going to remember. But again, take care of yourself. As a former codependent, I, I was very, you know, I thought that that was selfish if I took care of myself, but I know I need to do that. So, And I'm glad, too, for your sake, it sounds like you're in now a healthy relationship and you're remarried again and everything's good. And, you know, he's got him. Jamie, thank you so much for doing this episode. I knew I was going to relate to so much of your stories and I knew we had to get this done. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. I appreciate it. All right. Well, until next time, everybody.